This episode is brought to you by cars.com. When you add your car to your garage on cars.com, you'll unlock access to real-time insights into how much your car is worth. Plus, view its historical and projected value to decide when to sell. So when the time is right, you can secure an instant offer from a local dealership or sell it yourself on cars.com. Start tracking your car's value with your garage on cars.com. This episode is brought to you by Atlassian. Atlassian software like Jira, Confluence, and Trello help power global collaboration for all teams so they can accomplish everything that's impossible alone. Because individually, we're great, but together, we're so much better. Learn how to unleash the potential of your team at Atlassian.com, A-T-L-A-S-S-I-A-N.com. Atlassian. Tap the banner or visit this episode's page to learn more. The Ringer MLB Show is brought to you by FanDuel Sportsbook, the official sports betting partner of the Ringer Podcast Network. Looking for a better way to bet on your favorite sports online? If you could dream it, you could probably bet it through FanDuel Sportsbook. FanDuel offers spreads, parlays, money lines, over-under props, and in-game bets all in an easy-to-use app. There are more ways to cash out. When you win, you can receive your winnings in your bank account in as little as 48 hours through safe and secure processes. Check out FanDuel Sportsbook app today to experience sports betting the way it always should have been. FanDuel, more ways to win. 21 and over and present in New Jersey, Pennsylvania, West Virginia, Indiana, or Colorado. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or in West Virginia, visit www.1800gambler.net. In Indiana, call 1-800-9-WITH-IT or in Colorado, call 1-800-522-4700. Hello and welcome to The Ringer MLB Show. My name is Michael Bauman and I'm a staff writer at The Ringer. Joining me today are Ringer staff writer Zach Cram. Hello. Cleanly shaven Zach Cram, I should say. You're you're looking very professional, youthful even today. I would hope I look youthful. <laughs> yeah, I, I guess it's youthful. <laughs> Compared to the rest of us, I guess that's true. And uh also joining me today, you've heard that voice before. It is Ringer staff writer Ben Mr. Scruff Limberg. I'm glad <laughs> to see you've still got the beard going on, Ben. Looking old and haggard. You and me both, probably me more so than you. You, uh, you have the youthful, youthful visage of a man with a clean conscience. So, uh, anyway, uh, I wanted to start the show on this note, and this is because three of us, I think, have two interests in common. There are many things that both that two of us are interested in, but not all three. And I think the the limits of of our three shared interests are baseball and space travel. And so these two interests have converged in Netflix's new show, Away, uh, which came out, which Ben and I have both seen and I liked and Ben very much did not like, if I'm understanding (laughs) that correctly. Yeah, not really my pick to click. I finished it. It held my interest, but I was kind of hate watching by the end. That's, I don't know. Well, here's what I'll say. The uh, probably my favorite character, my favorite performance on the show is Russian cosmonaut Misha Popov, played by Mark Ivanir, the a uh, man you might have last seen playing a Russian cosmonaut on For All Mankind. And Misha Popov, contrary to expectations, is a baseball fan. And he gets into a conversation with uh, Hillary Swank's Emma Green, uh, the daughter of Ross and Rachel on Friends, who grows up to be a spacefaring explorer. And uh, he says, your country is obsessed with statistics. Obsessed. Completely ruined the baseball, by the way. We could use clips from Everything, the show. <laughs> no, we don't need it. I'm doing the accent now. Everything okay. needs to fit some metric. Every decision computerized. And so on. And so <laughs> I did not expect to see baseball takes from a Russian cosmonaut, even a fictional Russian cosmonaut, and anti-sabermetric takes at that. I, I was I was shocked. So that leads me to pose the question, the following question to both of you, and we'll start with Zach again. Which fictional spacefaring character would you most want to run your front office? First, I just hope that uh, you ran that Russian accent by your wife, who was, I believe, I an assure you, in I did not. She does, she does <laughs> not approve of of most of my uh, attempts to speak Russian or do a Russian accent. But anyway, so uh, yeah, my she was answer- not consulted. Yeah, my answer, and this might be a recency bias because I just uh, f- read through most of the books this summer, but I'm going with the character of Avasarala from The Expanse, 
And that is because I know that being a, a baseball GM is not all about making trades and and swindling other GMs out of prize prospects, but you can't think about a baseball GM without thinking about the trade deadline scene from Moneyball. And I don't think there's any character in all of fiction, let alone space fiction, who I would most trust to enact the Billy Bean trade deadline scene than Avasarala from The Expanse. Right down to the gratuitous swearing. The the deputy undersecretary is, is quite the wheeler dealer. I like that answer. How about you, Ben? Yeah, she is ruthless. That's a good pick. First, can I say I'm sick of sci-fi just crapping on baseball at every opportunity? When do you ever see any sort of sci-fi set in the future where it's good times for baseball? Baseball is always over. It's extinct. It has uh, lost its way and people are fondly remembering it or no one remembers it. Just give me one sci-fi show where baseball has actually had a good last century or two. Never seems to happen. I think along those lines, this might be kind of an obvious pick, but I am Mr. Chalk after all. I will take Benjamin Sisko. You are so predictable, and I, I love it, and we're going to get into why. Yeah, uh, I I considered other Star Trek captains because I, I think that maybe you could make the case that they'd be better suited for running a, a front office, even though Sisko is one of the more famous baseball fans among science fiction characters. That in itself is not necessarily a prerequisite for that job, not even necessarily an asset. I could see a, a case for the other way, but I think Cisco qualifies not just because he is a scholar of the game and would have the passion for it, but also I think because he's a, a builder. He was often described as a builder. He's someone who stays in one place. He sees his mission through. He is not just flying by and solving a planet's problems and then warping off to the next planet. He is in it for the long haul. And so I think if I were starting from scratch, if I were a rebuilding team, I would want Cisco there because he's going to see it through. And I like also that he's uh, maybe willing to bend the rules a little bit. At times, he can be intimidating. He can be rash and impulsive. Perhaps that's not an asset, but I see him as sort of a, a Preller type. There are a lot of Spocks and Datas in baseball front offices these days. And I think Cisco would be kind of a, a contrast to that. Yeah, and speaking of contrast and Ben Sisko, I was hoping that you were going to go for Ben Sisko because I'm picking Captain Solok. Ben, you and I <laughs> a while back did a uh, episode of this podcast based on the Deep Space Nine episode, Take Me Out to the Hollow Suite, in which mm -hmm. uh, Sisko's crew plays a game of baseball against uh, the crew of a Vulcan ship um, captained by Sisko's academy frenemy, Captain Solok. And uh, so the game takes place and and eventually the Niners win on a uh, on a technicality but what was the score of the game do you I don't recall it was like a billion to nothing in favor <laughs> yeah. of Captain Solox Vulcan uh -huh. so I appreciate Small the AJ sample. Preller yeah I appreciate the AJ Preller uh comparison the idea that Cisco is the the kind of guy you'd want to to build a franchise up from nothing I'm going to take the guy whose one appearance in all of science fiction media is to absolutely destroy a Ben Cisco built team <laughs> at baseball. So I'm, I appreciate that you were Mr. Chalk. It came in handy for me. Uh, yeah. Just playing into your hands. Solid case, I think. But I like that uh, Cisco, I mean, really with a GM, you want a manager, you want a leader, you want someone who is going to keep everyone in line and pick the right people, right? That's actually one of my concerns with Cisco is that he might have trouble delegating. He likes to be on the front lines and, and getting his hands dirty. Like Preller, he'd be out He's, there scouting Cisco's the high school prospects. Always the always on the verge of lo losing the clubhouse. Odo wants a, <laughs> wants a trade. Michael Eddington wants a trade. It's, it's a tough clubhouse, though. I mean, people are coming from all over the galaxy. So I, I think given that experience, he'd have a pretty easy time keeping any actual baseball front office in line. Yeah, that's fair enough. Um, okay, well, I could see our producer, Bobby, who does not share our enthusiasm for <laughs> science fiction, waving his arms and telling us to move on. We're going to move on to a team that's been even worse over the past couple weeks uh, than the Deep Space Niners, and that is, somewhat surprisingly, the New York Yankees. Uh, the Yankees um, are currently sitting at 500 in third place in the American League East, clinging, and I don't think that's the wrong word. I think clinging is absolutely the right word to use to the last playoff spot, even in the expanded playoff field. Zach Cram, what what is up? Um, the Yankees aren't good anymore. That's my expert analysis. The Yankees were good once upon a time back in the old days of mid-August. They were 16-6, and six, the best record in the majors. And since then, the wheels have come off. The 
back of the cart has fallen into pieces. They are five and fifteen cents. Uh, there are a couple of reasons why, but and we'll get into them. But I think the recent run of Yankees play can be best summed up with their sixth inning against the Blue Jays on Monday. This is a key series as the Blue Jays and Yankees battle for second place in the American League East. And the Yankees entered the sixth inning with a 6-2 to two lead. Chad Green, who has been maybe their best reliever over the last few years, entered. And he allowed a walk, induced a flyout, and then went walk, single, and error. So he comes out, Adam Adovino enters, and here's what Adam Adovino does. He allows a single to Vlad Guerrero Jr., who then steals his first career base. He allows another single and a stolen base. He gives up a walk, a single, a walk, and then a grand slam. The Yankees lose the game 12 to 7. They lost again on Tuesday night, and the losing streak just continues. Yeah, and I think the best case that uh, Zach is right that the Yankees aren't good anymore is that the Yankees' good players are not actually on the field right now and haven't been on the field for some time. So when they were clicking, it was because they were at almost full strength, right? They actually had Judge and Stanton in the same lineup slugging for the first time in a while. They haven't had those guys. They haven't had Glaber Torres. They haven't had DJ LeMayhew at times. They've lost a lot of their lineup. They've lost some pitchers too. And it showed. I think they've underperformed even given the players that they have had. But if you go back to when this slump really started, like August 18th, I'm sort of arbitrarily picking dates to, to make this slump look even worse. But since then, they have a 79 WRC+. plus. That means they've been 79% as good as the league average offensive team. That's the fifth or sixth worst, I think, in baseball over that time. Only the Royals have hit worse over that span in the American League. So these have not been the Yankees because these literally haven't been the Yankees, which is a lot like last season. They've kind of repeated the worst aspect of last season, which is when they lost everyone to injury, but they haven't repeated the best aspect of last season, which is that when they lost all the first stringers to injury, it turned out that all the second stringers were great and in some cases even better than the first stringers were expected to be. So they remade their whole strength and conditioning staff over the offseason, their training staff, et cetera, so as to avoid a repeat of that massive injury stack. And yet it has happened again. And one of the best predictors of future injury is past injury. So in that case, the new trainings had a, a tough task ahead of them. But I think the lack of personnel is showing. And when you combine the injuries, the poor offensive performance with a bullpen meltdown, which is maybe the more surprising aspect of what's happened, you get a really rough few weeks and you get a, a team that's suddenly looking sort of in jeopardy. I think that there's more to it than just they haven't been good. And I do find it one of the reasons that I find it so puzzling. And I actually had the Yankees still pretty high in my power rankings uh, that came out on Tuesday because part of me just doesn't believe that a lineup this good with this many good players, even injuries included, is just going to keep playing this badly for for much longer. And I think, you know, Zach mentioned Monday's loss to to Toronto is sort of a a microcosm for the for the slide. I actually want to highlight Tuesday's loss where they went up against a Blue Jays team and Taiwan Walker, who just could not find the strike zone. Uh, he walked five guys, allowed two hits, hit a batter in four innings of work, and somehow they it, they turned uh, all those base runners into zero runs off of off of Taiwan Walker, and they managed just one run in five innings against a, a Blue Jays bullpen that hasn't been that good. Meanwhile, Jay Happ pitched pretty well, made one mistake, and it, it went over the fence. So, you know, it's... And you look at the the bullpen me meltdown that, that Ben mentioned. If you look at go back to August 18th and sort bullpens by uh, win probability added since then, the Yankees are dead last past the Red Sox, who might be the worst pitching staff in Major League history, almost twice as uh, far below uh, far below level as teams like the Phillies and the Mets and the Diamondbacks, who are either selling or have notoriously unreliable bullpens. I think part of this can be chalked up to to not just small sample or injuries, but also bad sequencing, that they just aren't getting the bounces. And, you know, as much as, I guess my concern is not that they won't right the ship, not that that some of these guys won't get healthy, not that uh, Labor Torres, for instance, who's been playing and has been terrible this year, won't figure it out. 
it's that there is that mental element where when stuff starts to go wrong, when it rains, it pours. And I think that this is going to be the first real test of, of Aaron Boone as a manager, whether he can right the ship after uh, this kind of uh, losing streak. I think the injuries, like, yes, the lineup is decent, but it really suffers in the back half with everyone out. I mean, last night, they had to pinch hit with Kyle Higashioka, a backup catcher who has, in his career, been 64% worse than the league average hitter. And a good baseball team does not normally have to pinch hit with Kyle Higashioka unless it's like the 17th inning and they run out of players. And I think there have definitely been starters who have underperformed. You mentioned Torres. I think Gary Sanchez, the less said about his season at the plate, the better. But it's not like last year, as Ben said, when Talkman and Mike Ford filled in and were great. Talkman and Ford have regressed. Gio Urshela is the one guy who hasn't regressed, and he's hurt now. Gio Urshela, I think, if you sort all third basemen in the majors by uh, their hitting performance since the start of last season, you have Bregman and Rendon, who are one and two, way ahead of the rest of the pack. And then in third place, you have a group of five guys clustered within like one or two points of WRC+. That's Josh Donaldson, Yohan Mankata, Gio Urshela, Justin Turner, Rafael Devers. So Gio Urshela is one of the best hitting third basemen in baseball, and he's out. Judge is out. Stanton's out. LeMahieu is out. Torres was out. So like Yankees fans and the team themselves, frankly, might have been spoiled by how well the replacements did last season because the replacements aren't doing as well this year, and that you, you just see the drop off every game where they're basically hoping Luke Voigt hits a home run. And if he doesn't, then they don't really have any recourse to score. Even Garrett Cole has been a little bit disappointing, which is not even close to the primary reason why the Yankees are struggling like this, but just sort of goes to show that almost everything is going wrong right now. And, and Cole's season is sort of mystifying. I mean, his stuff is not drastically different from what it was last year. It's not like he's lost a ton of velo or movement or he's throwing different pitches. A lot of what he is doing from a process standpoint, looks pretty similar, but the results haven't been. And I think a lot of that is just that he has been extremely homer prone. He's just been getting hit hard and the fly balls he's allowed have gone over the fence at a really high rate and probably a, a somewhat fluky rate. But that just sort of emphasizes like that was supposed to be the great strength of this team that would sort of make up for any injuries or underperformance of guys who regressed from last year. And he hasn't really delivered what they were hoping. And and if they were hoping for the same thing he gave the Astros last year, maybe that's unrealistic just because of how great he was. But it almost reminds me a little bit of when I was a, a young man, still a Yankees fan like Benjamin Sisko, and the Yankees acquired Randy Johnson. And Johnson was in his 40s, of course, at that point. But it was sort of similar in that the Yankees got the guy they couldn't beat, the guy who had been the best pitcher. And when they got him, he didn't really live up to what he had done before he got there. But with Johnson, that was sort of predictable because of his age and his fragility. With Cole, not so much. But, you know, not that Cole is uh, even close to the biggest reason why this team is underperforming. It's just yet another reason in the litany of reasons that Yankees fans could say everything's going wrong for us this year. You heard it here, sports fans. Ben Lindbergh says Garrett Cole is cooked, and that's he why can't the Yankees in New York <laughs> can't, can't <laughs> handle the pressure. Um, yeah, the, the problem with Cole is not that he hasn't been as good as he as not that he hasn't been the guy who literally never lost with the Astros last year. It's they needed him to be that guy. And that reveals yeah. weaknesses that to Zach's point, I think maybe the Yankees player development reputation and their ability to pull guys off the shelf, sometimes literally the same guys who are struggling this year may might've spoiled us. And I think, you know, that, that might be, maybe we were, or I don't want to speak for everybody because you guys aren't wrong that much, but maybe I was wrong to maybe overrate the, the Yankees bench a little bit. Uh, so I mentioned the Aaron Boone's ability to, to pull this team out of losing streak. This, I think this was pretty clearly the second best team in baseball heading into this season. And if we're looking for a team to dominate out of the gate with this much talent, go on a, a stretch like this in late August, early September, the obvious parallel is the 2017 Dodgers who, uh, going back to memorable episodes of the show i remember andy mccullough's appearance where he said i wasn't worried about the dodgers until i walked into the the clubhouse and they were playing the phrase how to save a life and then i went oh no and they're the yankees are having that kind of uh, season but those dodgers famously 
righted the ship, went to the World Series, took the World Series to Game 7. Uh, and this year's Dodgers are right back where they left off. They're 31-12. and 12, It's the best record in baseball. 95.2% to win the division, despite playing in the same division as the Padres, who, in my opinion, are the second-best team in the National League. Uh I don't know. I, we should have done this backwards or should have done this in the reverse order because I was working on a great there, but for the grace of Dodge go I, but uh, yeah, this is, this shows you the, the two, you know, how every team goes through one of these losing streaks, but in the season, this short, you could, you might be able to avoid it altogether or it could wind up tanking the entire season. I would not have expected before the season began that the Dodgers would have maybe, I don't know, a, a top two bullpen in the majors. I think they're second in ERA right now, and the Yankees are much closer toward the back of the pack. That is not what you would have expected given these teams' recent pass. And I think that just kind of summarizes. I was thinking as we were talking about the Yankees and Cole and all the replacements who are filling in for the guys who are injured, and you look up and down this roster, and it's hard to find players who have overperformed their expectation. Luke Voigt might be an example uh, Jay Happ is actually pitching pretty well now after a really down year, but the Yankees are mostly either meeting expectations or far more often coming short. The Dodgers don't have that. They have Clayton Kershaw, who's back, and I won't say better than ever, but he basically has as good surface numbers as ever. They have someone like Jake McGee, who they just rescued uh, from, I think, after being cut by the Rockies, and now he's been one of their best relievers. And just up and down this roster, you have players who are actually meeting expectations or overperforming them, and it's hard to say why that's happening with one team and not the other, but go player by player, and the pattern is pretty clear. I think the Astros are, are sort of in a similar boat with the Yankees, too, in that if the Yankees weren't projected to be maybe one of the you know top two or three best teams coming into this year, it was the Astros probably who would have been in that tier along with them after Los Angeles. And they now have almost an identical record. They're a half game off. And they've been struggling, too, in large part because of injuries. They've been very depleted, too, particularly in the pitching staff. And I think the good news for both of those teams is that, A, it's really hard to miss the playoffs this season. So... Even though these teams, especially the Yankees, have been through this really rough stretch, they're still not quite locks, but kind of close to it as far as the playoff odds go. So, I mean, you look at the standings and you see all these teams nipping at their heels, even the Orioles right on their heels. And yet the Yankees have about an 84% chance to make the playoffs right now, according to Fangraphs. And you have to look very far down the list to get to the next AL team. So they're in that eighth spot right now. They are the eighth most likely AL team to make the playoffs. But to get to number nine, you have to go all the way down to the Orioles at 11.6%. And maybe that sounds like too big a gap. You have the Yankees at 21 and 21 and the Orioles at 20 and 21. They're virtually tied in that respect. And yet the playoff odds, there's this vast gulf between them. But I think if you look at the quality of those teams, the talent of those teams, the fact that the Yankees have had this bullpen meltdown, but those pitchers who've been melting down are good pitchers. I mean, we know that a lot of those guys are good. And we also expect that a lot of their absent hitters will be back. I don't know that you can count on Judge and and Stanton to be in the lineup together at any given time, but they should be back. Torres should be back. They should be more or less at full strength by the playoffs, you know, other than, say, Severino and, and some long-term injuries. So you would think that the Yankees would still write the ship just because you really, really have to work hard to blow it. If you are a talented team, you have to go out of your way to miss the playoffs when there's a 16-team field. I should also mention that according to Fangraph's projected strength of schedule for the rest of the season, the Yankees and the Astros have the easiest for the rest of the way. So that will help them out too. Yeah, I think it's worth noting after my rant about the expanded playoff field last week, that if we still only had five teams making the playoffs in each league, the Astros would currently be four games back and the Yankees would be four and a half games back, which is a really difficult gap to bridge in just 18 remaining games. So they have received, I mean, I guess this is the example of why MLB instituted the expanded playoffs is they said, if guys miss two weeks, that matters so much more in a 60 game season than 162 game season. So 
we want to give teams more of a cushion if everyone gets hurt at once. And that applies to both of these teams, basically. Yeah, and this is, we're going to come to this a little bit later in the show, but it's a matter of the the AL race. I don't know. I, I don't feel like anybody other than the eight teams who are in right now is going to make uh, the postseason, but there's only half a game separating the Yankees and the Orioles. So I guess this is this comes down to looking forward. Uh, do you believe that the Yankees talent will win out or that they have somehow damaged their prospects going forward, whether they're going to suffer a loss of confidence or or further injuries where the, the Orioles or the Tigers are, I mean, this is how expanded the playoffs are. The Mariners are, are legitimately in the playoff picture right now. Uh, whether one of those teams can can come up and and uh, surprise one of one or both of the the Yankees or Astros, and and that you know I genuinely don't really have a good answer for that. There, you know, I this is so surprising. I'm I'm having a hard time uh, uh, making judgments on the how the next couple of weeks are going to shake out. It's nice, not for Yankee fans, Yankees fans, but for neutral spectators, if there is anyone who's neutral when it comes to the Yankees, that there's a surprise, at least because it it looked, you know, a couple of weeks ago, like the AL playoff field was basically set, like there might not be any tension or suspense coming down the stretch. And you looked at the top teams that were in playoff position, and they all seemed pretty predictable. So I do expect that the Yankees will get things together and will squeak this out. But at least there's some uncertainty, you know, and when we knew that there would be a 60 game season and a 16 team playoff field, we kind of wanted to lean into the unpredictability and the randomness. And there hasn't been as much opportunity to do that as we thought there would be. Like, you know, the Dodgers were great and have been great. Most of the teams at the top of the standings are the ones that we sort of expected to be there within some margin of error. So in that sense, I'm sort of happy that there's some jeopardy here that a great team might actually miss the playoffs. Although if you do want this season to go down as something more than just kind of a a fluky asterisk type season, then I guess it's in the best interest of baseball to have the teams that everyone thinks are good actually make the playoffs. Because if not, then I think there will always be that sort of hanging over the season. If you won well, what would have happened if there had been a a full season, if the Yankees had gotten healthy, if they had gotten to play out the schedule with the teams, with the players who were actually on the team. So kind of happy that they're in jeopardy or that someone's in jeopardy, but also think that if they do actually end up collapsing, you'll never hear the end of it from Yankees fans because I, I think they'll sort of feel like they were cheated of the opportunity to prove their medal over 162 No matter games. what happens, we're never going to hear the end of it from <laughs> That's the Yankees true. fans. That's just sort yes. of an occupational hazard of anything happening to the Yankees. Yes, as a as a reformed Yankees fan myself, I can, <laughs> I can concur. Ben's still uh, upset about Randy Johnson 15 years apparently. later. Apparently. I am still sort of <laughs> upset about that. <laughs> <laughs> I was really looking forward to watching him, and then he just wasn't very good. It was disappointing. All right, uh, let's shift gears a little bit because uh, the other big baseball news from since the last time we recorded uh, was the uh, death of of two Hall of Famers. Tom Seaver uh, died in California at the age of seventy five uh, last uh, Monday before we recorded. The news broke shortly after, and then Lou Brock uh, on Sunday died at the age of, of eighty one. These are two. Uh, titanic record-setting players from the um, you know the 60s and 70s, and uh, you know I just wanted to pay tribute to to their careers, and the impact that they left on baseball, because this is these are two players who I think really um, really shaped the the history of the game. And I think they're both, even though they weren't one team Hall of Famers, I think they're both associated very much with one yes, team. Tom absolutely. Seaver literally nicknamed the franchise and. Uh, Lou Brock, who was traded in the infamous Ernie Broglio trade, uh, is very much associated with the Cardinals. I actually saw Lou Brock during the 2013 World Series that took place while I was going to school in St. Louis, and I volunteered as a photo runner for the World Series that year, which basically meant I would you know, be out in the outfield station with the photographer, and after every half inning, he would give me his memory card, and I would sprint down to the bowels where all of the photo editors were working and putting them online for like MLB.com and Sports Illustrated, etc. And one of the days when I was there, kind of milling around before the game was starting, I noticed this commotion, this hubbub as somebody walked in uh, near the clubhouses, 
and everyone crowded around. All the security guards were excited, and and it was Lou Brock there. And he uh, later suffered a lot of health problems. He lost a leg, but he was just this beloved figure who everyone who had grown up a Cardinals fan 50 years ago uh, loved more than anything, kind of symbolizing the city and he and Bob Gibson basically winning them World Series. Lou Brock was a phenomenal postseason performer, hitting 391 in his playoff career. And I think it was cool to see that up close in a city where, you know, say what you want about the Cardinals fans and best fans in baseball and everything, but they do really appreciate their legends. And he was nicknamed the franchise too, different franchise and less famously associated with that nickname than Seaver. But still, I I think that does speak to their standing with their respective teams. And also, I mean, they were kind of linked in that they were contemporaries and they faced each other more often than they faced anyone else. So they uh, had a lot of head-to-head matchups. And really, I mean, you look at Brock's stat lines and he just looks so alien as a player to the type of players we see today. Just the game that he had, the stolen bases, you know, the the lower strikeout rates, the relatively high batting averages. I mean, he's someone who doesn't measure up as well as Seaver does with the the modern metrics, but I think from an entertainment perspective, you know, he was not like the the inner inner circle, arguably best of all time type that Seaver was with pitchers, but Brock was probably on the all-time entertaining teams, and we just don't have a, a lot of players who have the sort of game that he had. Yeah, I, I mean, I've been quite vocal about wishing that we had more players in the game right now who were more contact hitters. Who, yeah, and Brock had a fair bit of power, but um, mm-hmm. more contact hitters, aggressive base runners. I mean, I, what I love about not just Brock's uh, huge base stealing seasons, but Ricky Henderson was like this too. The uh, you can't steal 118 bases in a season like Brock did without also getting caught a lot. He got caught 33 times that year, which, which led the league. And it's, I don't, I just get tired thinking about trying to steal 150 bases a season. Um, but I mean, you look at that, it, like it's, it's pretty incredible just to get on base that many times in order to, to have that many opportunities. And then you pretty much have to turn around and run every single time you talked about them being linked. There was the, story of of Seaver showing up for the the 1967 uh All-Star game and going in the National League clubhouse and uh Lou Brock thought he was a clubhouse attendant and asked him to get him a coke and Seaver did and he <laughs> sat down and he said oh by the way I'm Tom Seaver from the Mets like I'm really <laughs> excited to meet you um and so yeah it's <sighs> Seaver yeah you know, I I sort of based my my post I wrote right uh, right after the news broke that he died around this sort of throwaway line in the the Bill James book about how if you adjust for era, Seaver's got a, a claim to to being the best pitcher of all time. And I think that's less true now than it was when that book was written 20 years ago. But I think he sort of, what I ended up settling on is there was this sort of a flattening effect among the best pitchers of his era. So, so guys like... Um, uh, Phil Necro and Steve Carlton, Nolan Ryan, who are contemporaries of, of Seaver's and obvious record-setting Hall of Famers in, the, in their own right, there was still a little bit extra that Seaver had in terms of numbers. And that, uh, you know, in the same way that this is Mike Trout versus Mookie Betts or Mike Trout versus Josh Donaldson or whoever the the player of the game is, or player of the, the moment is, Seaver, in a very modern way, with you look at the strikeout numbers that he, that he put up, the um, the low-hit numbers that he, he put up, was, I think, he sort of gets underrated uh just because there's I don't I don't know why actually but but we don't really seem to appreciate how good a pitcher he was that that uh that he had that extra step even on on other generational talents like Carlton and Ryan. Yeah, I think it's probably just time or or the fact that shortly after his career we got Roger Clemens and Randy Johnson and Greg Maddox. Not and shortly Pedro after Martinez. they played together. Yes, so. right. I Pedro, Randy Johnson, Greg Maddox, their peaks came sort of post-Seaver and and maybe they eclipsed his case for best ever. But those guys are fresher in our minds and, you know, our contemporaries because we weren't quite around early enough to see Seaver pitch. But the numbers certainly stand out from really everyone uh, who pitched during that time. And certainly you could make the case everyone who pitched before him. All right, we're going to take a break and come back with the unnamed playoff odds segment right after this. 
Rare MLB show is proud to be presented by FanDuel Fantasy. Sports are finally back. Basketball playoffs, hockey playoffs, baseball, golf, and more. And football's right around the corner. Never played FanDuel Fantasy before? Great. FanDuel is offering users a chance to play free this NFL season. No deposit required. Just sign up and FanDuel will give you a free entry to a contest each week of the football season where you can win real prizes. Plus, for those folks who want to deposit, FanDuel is offering up to a $500 bonus instantly when you make your first deposit with our 20% deposit match. FanDuel Fantasy is an easy-to-use app with different and unique contests across sports in relation to your skill level. FanDuel is offering users a chance to play free this NFL season. No deposit required. Just sign up and FanDuel will give you a free entry to a contest each week of the football season where you can win real prizes. Plus, for those folks who want to deposit, FanDuel is offering up to a $500 bonus instantly when you make your first deposit with our 20% deposit match. Go to FanDuel.com slash RingerFantasy or download the FanDuel Fantasy app to play now. FanDuel, more ways to win. The best teams start with great talent, but finding the right people can be a challenge. Just like how in sports, scouts have to scour the entire country, spending hours and hours in the car, looking over hours of tape, looking at data from spin rate to velocity to everything you can think of, and business is no different. When it comes to hiring your business, ZipRecruiter can help you find the right candidates for your team fast, from healthcare to manufacturing to business services and more. And now you can try ZipRecruiter for free at ZipRecruiter.com slash MLB. ZipRecruiter sends your job to more than 100 top job sites, but they don't stop there. With their powerful matching technology, ZipRecruiter scans thousands of resumes to find people with the right skills and experience for your job and actively invites them to apply. ZipRecruiter is so effective that four out of five employers who post on ZipRecruiter get a quality candidate within the first day. And right now, to try ZipRecruiter for free, my listeners can go to ZipRecruiter.com slash RingerMLB. That's ZipRecruiter.com slash R-I-N-G-E-R-M-L-B. ZipRecruiter.com slash Ringer MLB. ZipRecruiter, the smartest way to hire. All right, and we're back with the unnamed play of odds segment. So what we're going to do, particularly this week, is look at some of these underdogs, that the, the teams that are just on the outside, the teams that we didn't see coming in contrast to the Yankees and Dodgers, who might step up and, and make a surprise appearance uh, and I, I say surprise, even by the standards of we've only got a couple weeks left in the season, uh, it would still be surprising if these teams made the playoffs. So, Ben, who is the biggest playoff odds riser in the past week? Biggest playoff odds riser, Chaos Giants, up by almost 25 percentage points. And they have appeared <laughs> in this segment before. So they've been a, like a they always appear in this. Segment. Yeah, they're pretty much in there every week. I don't know how their playoff odds aren't 100% yet, but <laughs> they're always there and they're the big gainers this week. So if we're picking underdog teams coming into the season that we think are the most likely playoff teams now... I will take the Giants just because they are the Mr. Chalk pick in that their playoff odds are the highest, you know, compared to any other teams you could lump into that category that are contenders despite not having high expectations. The Giants now are playoff favorites after this latest great week. They're over 500. They're 22 and 21. They have uh, about 67% chance to make the playoffs right now. I can't say I totally understand it, but they're in really excellent position right now. And it's partially, I think, the bullpen. The bullpen has helped them, but also the lineup has been great. They're like the you know mirror universe Yankees. Everything we were just saying about how the Yankees have underperformed and they haven't hit and their bullpen's been bad. The Giants are the opposite in every respect. So their offense right now is the fifth best in baseball. On the full season, I can't really wrap my mind around that. It goes Padres, Mets, Dodgers, White Sox, Giants, 15% better than the league. And you look at the names. I mean, we've talked about this before, but look, I like Brandon Belt as much as anyone, but Brandon Belt is hitting 337, 432, 654 Brandon right Belt, now. Brandon Belt, NL MVP? <laughs> Yeah, I mean, he's uh, a contender. We got to talk uh, about it, man. He's in the conversation because we just brought him up in that conversation. But I think he's one of the the more obvious picks there to have a great year. I mean, it's Austin Slater. It's Mike Yastrzemski more than following up his great rookie year. He's been fantastic. We've talked about him. It's Donovan Solano. It's Alex Dickerson. It's Wilmer Flores. 
It's Evan Longoria with a a resurgent season. It's basically everyone. (laughs) So I don't know exactly how this is happening. Grant Brisby was making even-year jokes on Twitter earlier, and it does have that same sort of feel of, I don't know exactly how they're doing this, but they keep doing it. And now I'm just sort of salivating over a potential Dodgers-Giants playoff matchup because what would be better than that? The only scenario that might be better is if they had actually gone with the, you know, favorite team gets to pick its playoff opponent, because then that would be juicy. Because if you were the Dodgers, you'd probably pick the Giants, right? Because they seem like maybe the weakest team in the playoff field. But then the pressure's on because it's the Dodgers-Giants rivalry. And do you want them to come in and embarrass you by beating you in a short series after you picked them because you thought they were the weakest? And really, if you're the Giants, I mean, it's all kind of gravy, right? Because you weren't expected to be there. It's not gravy in Gabe Kapler's clubhouse. No gravy (laughs) allowed. That's a good point. Yeah, too many carbs. But yeah, I think... You know, the Dodgers were the the Titan, the juggernaut. They're expected to be there. The Giants are just these underdog out of nowhere guys. And so if they actually matched up, given the history between those two teams, that would be beautiful. I simultaneously feel like there's only, you know, a 50 to 60 percent chance that the Giants make the playoffs, but a 100% chance that they face the Dodgers in the playoffs. And I'm not quite sure how to square those two. It would seem to be a logical fallacy, but I'm sticking by it because they've been kind of squared up in the one versus eight matchup for a week now. And it seems like it's just bound to continue over the next couple. It's all, it's the kind of chaos that is so chaotic. It like, it's so obvious that it would almost be anticlimactic if the, the giants faced and beat the Dodgers in round one. The other thing in the even year front that I want to mention is Taylor Swift put out a new album and (laughs) it's good. And that hasn't happened since 2014. And the last time it happened before that was 2012 and before that 2010. So all of the stars are aligning. All of the forces of chaos and gigantitude are converging. So I, we're going to have to call them something else if, uh, if they keep playing like this. All the stars are aligning like Donovan Solano, who is now a star. Donovan Solano is... I am so convinced that he last played for the, like, the 2011 Marlins. I... I am, he is like, was Haram Boca Chica playing that late? Like, that's the the space that he occupies in my memory. And it is shocking to me to see not only that he's playing uh, in the major leagues at this point, but but absolutely killing it. So good for him for outrunning the, the boatman here. Um, ben, who is number two? Actually, I know who number two is because this yes. is my my pick to surprise. Yeah, you're going to talk about number two. So I was just talking about teams that have had good bullpens lately. If you go back to August 20th and you look at the, the best bullpens by win probability added, it goes Rays, Athletics, Marlins, and Giants. And we just talked about the Giants. The Marlins are the other team that has been buoyed by a good bullpen lately and by other things, too, because they are the second biggest riser this week, up 18.5 percentage points and now close to a coin flip proposition for the playoffs. Yeah, and we mentioned one of the things that makes the Giants so chaotic is their bullpen has been prone to uh, moments of of chaos in and of itself, I guess, is a a good euphemism for that. And the Marlins have been a lot more stable on the back end. This is a team that the rise in playoff odds doesn't just mean that they had a good week. I think the composition of the team has changed recently with a couple of the call-ups that they made. Sixto Sanchez being the obvious one. I mean, my God, the the stuff that he's got, it's unbelievable. I have no idea. Like, he might be one of the... One, I'm not going to go over. I'm sorry. I'm going to dial it back a little bit. I'm not going to get over my skis with Sixto Sanchez, but you look at him pitch and you see why that temptation exists. They've also called up Jazz Chisholm, who is the uh, infielder they got in return for Zach Gallon, who's currently ascending the pyramid of South Jersey excellence, mounting a Cy Young campaign for the Arizona Diamondbacks. This was my favorite kind of trade, a prospect for prospect trade. So we'll see what Jazz Chisholm has to offer. And the other guy they brought in at the deadline is Starling Marte, who was having a really good season for the Diamondbacks, a player I like a lot. Um, I mean, that's you just look at what they had in center field. The 
succession of players they acquired for Christian Yelich who have severe swing and miss problems. Sarah Lamarte is a huge upgrade over that. So I think this team is not only in a better position, I think they are better than they were a week or two ago. And that has to, to enter into the calculus. The other thing is, I think I like this roster less than a couple of the AL contenders, but it's there's so much it's so much easier to get into the back end of that NL playoff picture. So this is a big week for the Marlins. They've got their starting Thursday. They've got seven games in five days against the Phillies who have a better roster, but also have a long history of absolutely choking against the against even bad Marlins teams. And then three games after they get that against the Red Sox. We'll see what they come out of the the next 10, uh, 10 games with, because that's going to determine their season uh, one way or another. They got to put a lot of numbers up on the board. I'm liking my preseason Marlins won't finish in last place prediction, but I think what... Yeah, most- you definitely foresaw the circumstances <laughs> that would lead to the Marlins not finishing in last place. That's good pro- prognostication by you, Zach. I think what, what is interesting about this Marlins team is the number, kind of the combination and number of interesting players. Like you mentioned, Mike, they have all these young players coming up, but then they also add Starling Marte at the same time. So... It's not just a team that is relying on prospects, kind of like the next team I'm going to talk about. It's a team that is getting contributions from different places and different ages and is kind of a well-rounded team. I like a lot of their pitchers, and I think their lineup isn't a total zero anymore. So it's not like they're just you know relying on a, a, an extended string of great pitching performances. They have kind of balance throughout the roster. Yeah, one other guy they're getting back is Jose Ureña, who wasn't that good last year, but was their de facto ace the two seasons before that. And this, I mean, this is a a season in which just having one okay starting pitcher might be the difference between making the playoffs and not. So it's, a, like you said, an interesting mix of players, a team that confounds me completely, but I, I like the direction they're headed. So, Zach, your pick is not one of the three biggest risers this week, but they are a team that you alluded to having a lot of prospects uh, and being in a pretty favorable position right now, the way the Astros and the Yankees are playing. So the underdog team that I think uh, I'm going to argue for to make the playoffs is the Tigers. And I think while the Marlins, for instance, have an opportunity because there's not really that many National League teams who are either guaranteed a playoff spot at this point or that we can count on. There's also a lot of chaos, right? There are maybe 13 National League clubs that have a a shot at the postseason right now. The AL, you basically have 10, maybe 11. So while the teams that the Tigers might need to run down are better, it's not like they have as much traffic to get there. I think the Tigers, over the last week, their playoff odds have dropped by 11 percentage points, which isn't great. They lost three pretty close games in a row to the Twins. But they have a, a favorable schedule the rest of the way. They have six remaining games against the Royals. And I think the Tigers pitching staff could make or break the season for them. Uh, Spencer Turnbull has turned in. A, I didn't even mean that pun. Spencer Turnbull has turned in a, a pretty good season. I think he was good last year. He just received zero run support and his surface stats stuff, uh, suffered accordingly. But he's been good, I think. Even someone like Daniel Norris has had a resurgence. He was a one-time top prospect and took a while to get going. He's found himself now reinvented as a long man, swing man kind of reliever. He has 19 strikeouts, only three walks, and one home run allowed this season. The The big disappointment, I think, is Casey Mize, who is the former number one pick and came up uh, a couple weeks ago. He's made four starts, and none of them have been very good. He's striking batters out, but also giving up a lot of hard contact and a lot of hits. And I think if he is able to make one or two good starts down the stretch, that will really change the complexion of the Tigers rotation because Matt Boyd is, I don't know, his bat void is gone now because Matt Boyd has given up bushels of home runs and they, they need a second or third reliable starting pitcher beyond Turnbull. But I think if someone like Mize or Turek Skubal gets there, the Tigers have a chance to run down either the Yankees or the Blue Jays or the Astros just because they have the schedule to do it and they have kind of they have the roster where you just need one or two more guys to step up and in a 20 game span that's certainly possible. Yeah, you mentioned running down and one or two more guys. You know who they called up today? It's Daz Cameron. 
So uh, who's winning the Justin Verlander trade now? (laughs) (laughs) The Tigers have the easiest path ahead of them of any of these long shot teams that we've been talking about. I think, you know, if you look at their upcoming strength of schedule, their uh, remaining opponents collectively are supposed to be below 500, which is not the case for the Marlins, who have a pretty tough slate ahead of them and the Giants, too, to a lesser extent. So The Tigers, I think, have an easier time of it. I think they obviously are longer shots than the other teams we talked about, but that helps a little bit. Who who would you take between the Tigers, the Orioles, and the Mariners as kind of these unheralded teams trying to chase down the better teams as the number eight seed? So I'll say this. I am deeply uncomfortable with the amount the Anthony Santander injury has impacted my view of the American League playoff race because that of all the things I didn't think I was was going to happen this year, that's up there. Uh, I think you're right with the Tigers. I kind of want it with the Mariners, but you have to you have to squint a little bit harder. I think with uh, but honestly, you mentioned the path. I think the path is the Yankees or and or Astros wake up and all this ends up being moot. Yeah, I think it's the Tigers, but the Orioles would be fun. That would be the most chaotic outcome of the season, right? I mean, they were the the team that I jokingly predicted would win the World Series before the season started in a 60-game season, just because that was the most inconceivable outcome. There was no way to imagine that a team as bad as the Orioles were last year and seemingly no better going into this year, possibly worse. I mean, for them to string together this number of competent games is already a surprise. So if they somehow pulled it out, I think that would be fun. Although I feel like the Tigers have earned it a bit more by promoting these prospects. And and granted, they had more highly touted prospects close to the majors to do that with than the Orioles did, but they've kind of gone for it in a little bit different way than Baltimore has. So I I think the Tigers deserve to be rewarded for that. We're going to talk about where Zach thought the Orioles were going to end up. If we thought about a punishment for if they end up making the playoffs after he predicted they would uh, win single digit games. I think Jake Mintz has that covered on the uh, the sister (laughs) pod. (laughs) All right. Well, punishment to come. I think this is going to end this episode of the Ringer MLB show. Uh, Thanks to Zach and Ben for joining me. Thanks to Bobby for producing today's episode. Thanks to Aaron Boone and Dave Roberts and Tarek Skubel for giving us stuff to talk about. And thank you for listening. Enjoy the week's action and we'll see you next time.